So you may be wondering why I'm up here instead of Josh. Well, Josh sent me a message yesterday morning saying that uh, I just got back from the doctor and I have the flu as well as strep throat. So I don't think I'll be able to preach tomorrow morning. And so he asked if I could in his place and I am, I am more than happy to. Uh, but, but please keep Josh in your prayers. He is uh, bedridden. He texted me last night and just said, bro, so sick. So uh, normally when I get those texts, that's not good. So he's, he's probably hurting. Uh, so pray for him and pray for Val because now she's got another kid at home. So uh, keep them in your prayers uh, and hopefully uh, soon Josh will get better. Uh, now that he has some medicine. But as a result, uh, we will not be in Luke 11 this morning, as your bulletin says, uh, but rather we're going to be in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians will be in chapter 1, uh, that's page 1083 in the hymn Bible, if, the, if that is what you are using. So the book of Colossians is, is one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It's short, it's, uh, it's only four chapters long. If you were to read it from front to back, it would probably only take you 15 minutes at the most, probably. Uh, but it's very, what we would call, Christological. And what I mean by that is, is Paul, writing to the, the church at Colossae, he's, he's very much so concerned about what they believe about Christ. And so Paul is making sure that he is building up Christ. He wants them to know who Christ is, what he did, what his, what his work on the cross means for you and for me. And so the entire book is very saturated with Christ, as is the whole Bible, but this very specifically about the person of Christ. And so it's one of my favorite books, and, and one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter was dealing with false teaching. So Paul had never actually been to the church at Colossae. It was a church that pe- most people believe was started by this man named Epaphras. He's mentioned a few times in this book. Uh, and it's most likely that Epaphras was converted under Paul's preaching ministry in Ephesus, which is not far from Colossae if you look at the map in the back of your Bible. But it's most likely that Epaphras was converted, came to Colossae, and started a church. And sure enough, this church started to gather steam. It started to grow. More people were getting saved. And as a result, normally when things start going well, when, when churches start growing and flourishing, bad things start to happen. False teaching is starting to creep in at the church at Colossae. And so Epaphras most likely reaches out to his friend Paul and says, Hey, Paul, we've got some false teaching coming into the church, and, and I need some advice. Now, we don't know if that's exactly how this happened, but, but that seems like that's probably how this went down. And so now we have the book of Colossians here in our Bibles. And Paul is writing, dealing with false teaching, because some people, we find out later in the book, are saying, you need to believe in Christ, but you also you need to be abstaining from certain foods. You need to be abstaining from certain drinks. You need to be keeping certain festivals. And that is how you are truly made holy. And, and Paul would say, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. Let me paint a picture for you of Christ and what he truly means to us. Okay, and so we have the book of Colossians. And so you may wonder, why am I preaching on a passage that seems like it's dealing with false teaching? And I have a story to help you understand. So a couple of years ago, I want to say maybe two summers ago, uh, my wife and I were still in college. We were dirt poor, just trying to get through. Uh, and we got a call from her grandfather. And her grandfather says, hey, I'm turning 70 this year, and we're going to celebrate big. So we're, we're all ears. We're like, all right, what do you got? He says, I'm going to rent a giant house, three-story house, like 10 bedrooms 
in Outer Banks, North Carolina, right on the beach, and we're going to spend a week there. We want you guys to come. So Sam and I are thinking there's no way that we are ever going to afford a vacation on the beach for an entire week in this gigantic house. So we're in. We're asking off work. We're making sure we got no obligations. We're going. So sure enough, our week comes. We get in the car. We get, you know, all of our stuff, and we head to the beach. Now, any of you who know me, you probably know that I'm pretty fair-skinned. If you've seen me in shorts, you may have made the joke that I've got highlighter legs. That is true. That is very true. So me and the sun and the beach don't really mix very well, okay? So Sam and I, in preparation for this, we got like the most SPF that you can get, all right? I don't know what it is, maybe like 100 or whatever. So we've got SPF 100 sunblock for me, and we're like, all right, here we go. We're just going to have to lather up every two hours, stay in the shade for as much as we can. So the first day, we're, we're at the house. It's the morning time, and everybody's like, all right, let's go. Let's get down to the beach. So we're like, all right, let's do it. So... I have read the instructions on the back of the sunblock thing. You're supposed to apply and then wait for about 15 minutes before you get into direct sunlight. Most people don't know that, and they make fun of me for standing in the shade after I've put it on. But trust me, I need it, okay? I need this to work fully. And so there I am. I'm, I'm lathering up in sunblock before we even leave the house. And then you get that, that scent about you. You know, it's just that, that sunblock scent. But I've waited the 15 minutes. I've lathered up as much as I can, the highest SPF I can. And so we get down to the beach. And sure enough, you know, after a, a time where we're swimming, we're playing some games and doing all this stuff. So we had been down there like all day. And it's, it's shortly after lunchtime. And Sam's like, you know, I think, I think we should probably reapply some of that sunblock. So, so we did. You know, we got in the shade. She, she got my back so I wouldn't have, you know, missed spots and all that. And then we decided we we're going to play some, some wiffle ball on the beach. So me and Sam's half-brothers and her grandfather and her dad were all playing uh, wiffle ball on the beach. So we had been out on the beach all day. And I didn't have a shirt on. So we start playing wiffle ball, and her grandfather says to, to her brothers, you know, you, you guys should probably throw a shirt on. The sun's probably more intense out here than you think. You might want a shirt. So they all go, and they put their shirts on like good, obedient children. And me, I'm just like, I don't need that. I got SPF 100. I'm good. So sure enough, we get back from the beach that night, and I start feeling some heat on my back. And I said, Sam, is my back burned? And I take my shirt off, and it is beet red. I'm saying, like, bad. This was a, this was a terrible burn, okay? So I'm feeling it. So from then on, for the next couple of days of vacation, I'm, I'm so miserable, uh, but thankful to be at the beach nonetheless. Uh, but that was rough. And what had happened was I thought that I had done everything I could to protect myself from sunburn. But surely enough, over the course of time, without me even realizing it, my back was roasting. And I didn't realize it until it was too late. And in the same way, if we are not careful to protect ourselves against false teaching in the church, the same can happen to us. If we are not careful then we can let our guard down, like me at the beach, thinking I've taken care of everything, I don't need to worry about the sun, and slowly but surely, we're getting burned. And we may not even realize it until it's too late. So we, even though we seem to be a healthy church, we seem to be growing, we seem to have a, a pastor who is loving us so well, which he is, we still need to be careful. We still need to do everything we can to protect ourselves from letting false teaching creep in and slowly lead us away from Christ, slowly lead us to be a little bit more okay with our sin, we still need to protect ourselves against that. And Paul gives us some words of wisdom to protect ourselves against that, okay? So we're just going to look at three quick verses, starting in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. 
Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So remember, this letter as a whole, Paul is writing to combat false teaching. And oftentimes, when, when we write a letter, if we have a, a, an agenda at, at, in mind, we probably, at the very beginning, kind of lay out where we're going. We kind of give our main point up front, and then we, we, you know, spell it out. Well, Paul does something similar. And he gives us basically a formula for what the Christian life should look like in an effort to protect against false teaching. But before we get into that, look at how he begins this letter. In verse 3, Paul says, We always thank God when we pray for you. Paul, dealing with false teaching, begins with two things. He begins with prayer, and he begins with thankfulness. These two things are essential in the life of a believer. They are essential in the life of a healthy church. Now, our church just finished starting on Friday and ending last night, 24 hours of prayer. And so for 24 hours consecutively, we had people in this church praying for our leadership, for our, our, our ministries, for our community, for all kinds of different things. For people in the church, we had directories with all your pictures in it that people were praying through. Because we as a church, we believe that prayer is so essential. Because we recognize we are not capable of having this church have any success apart from God. If we were to try and do everything that we're doing and leave God out, we would have utter failure. It doesn't matter how lovable Josh is. It doesn't matter how good of a preacher Josh is. It doesn't matter how good of a friend Josh is to any of us. If he leaves out God and tries to do this on his own, it will fail. And we recognize that. Josh recognizes that. That's why Josh will say in staff meeting, I think it's about time for another 24 hours of prayer. We need to make sure that we, as well as, as all of our people, are focusing on prayer. We're relying on God to do the work because we, in and of ourselves, are not capable of doing it ourselves. We have to rely on God. And Paul is saying, from the beginning, if you're going to deal with false teaching, you had better rely on God in prayer. Because if we try and fight false teaching ourselves, we will fail. So Paul begins by praying. He also begins by being thankful. So Paul says, we always thank God when we pray for you. Paul is thankful to God because he recognizes everything that has happened so far in Colossae, even though he hasn't been there, but everything that he has heard that's happened is because God has done it. It's the same principle as just before. We recognize that we are not capable of growing a church apart from God. God is doing the work, and Paul is recognizing that, and he says, I thank God when I pray for you because I see what he has done among you. I see that he has caused people to believe the gospel message, to, to, to have this new heart, a heart that loves him, that desires him. And Paul is saying, God has done that, and because of that, we thank him. We give him the proper praise that he is due because God is building this church. 
And so even from the very beginning, before he even lays out any argument for why we should reject false teaching, Paul says we start with prayer and thankfulness. I wonder in in our personal lives, if we start anything with prayer and thankfulness. It's really easy to neglect prayer sometimes, isn't it? Maybe we, we wake up in the morning and we've got so much on our plate, we've got so much to do that, that stopping and pausing and praying seems like it's just going to put me behind schedule and then my whole day is going to be off. I'm not going to get anything done. Or maybe we think that we just don't have anything to, to pray about. Things in our life seem to be going well. My family seems to be healthy Uh, My job seems to be going well. I'm making good money. I have nothing to really pray for. But I promise you that you do. And we should, as people of God, be people who are prayerful, recognizing that anything good that's happening in our life is a result of God blessing us. God has been so good to our church, and we recognize that. We recognize that by, by pouring out to Him in thankfulness and pouring out to Him in prayer. Then, notice that I skipped a small little section between the commas. Paul says, we always thank God when we pray for you, but between the commas, he says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a description of God. He says, we always thank God, comma, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, comma. So he gives a description of God. Now, here's what I want us to see from this passage, or from this little insert. Good theology will help us fight bad teaching. Good theology will help us fight bad teaching. So look at what he does. It's very subtle, but it's clear. Paul says, we always thank God, and just so you don't forget, God is the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. You'd be surprised if you go back through church history and you read about a lot of these false teachings that have come up in the church a lot of them center around people not believing that Jesus is the Son of God or not believing that He is truly, fully God while also being fully man. And so many times, false teaching can come about as a result of not properly believing who Jesus is. And Paul, from the beginning, says, remember, Jesus is the Son of God the Father. That's who He is. Don't forget that. Let's remember that that is essential to what we believe as Christians. But then he says something else. He says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just the Son of God. He is our Lord. Now what does that mean? Well, if Jesus is our Lord, that means that he is in a position of authority over us. We as believers, if we say that we believe in Jesus, that his his blood shed on the cross covers our sins, we are saying that we are submitting ourselves to the lordship of Christ. He is our authority. He has paid a price for our souls, and so he is now in authority. He now has reign over our lives. He says what goes. That's what it means that Jesus is Lord. And Paul is saying for all of us who have confessed Jesus as our Savior, we must also confess that He is our Lord. There is no salvation apart from Jesus also being your Lord. If you want to be saved, but not have Jesus as the Lord of your life, there is no salvation for you. 
Because Jesus does not save people and then let them go their merry way and do their own thing and live their own way. Jesus says, if you want salvation, if you want the forgiveness of sins, it comes through me. And if I have bought your soul with my blood on the cross, I am now your Lord and your Savior. And so I wonder if Jesus is our Lord this morning. If you can look at your life and say without any question, yes, Jesus is my Lord. I am submitting to his authority. I am submitting to his will. I am submitting to his rule and reign. Or are we trying to go our own way and do our own thing, but also reap the benefits of salvation? Paul says, no, Jesus, not only is he the Son of God, which is important, he is our Lord. He is in authority over us. And thankfully, he's a good Lord. He's righteous. He is true. He is pure. It's not like we have a bad Lord who, who we don't know if he's got our best interests in mind. He is pure. He is righteous. But he is our Lord. And we need to remember that as believers, Jesus is our Lord. So he, he gives us some good theology from the beginning. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And now, starting in verse 4, Paul gives two aspects or, or things that are true of, of believers. He says in verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, that's number one. And then he says, And the love that you have for all the saints. So now, Paul describes two things that are true of believers in Jesus Christ. You have faith in Christ Jesus, and you have love for the saints. So now what does it mean to have faith in Christ Jesus? To have faith in Christ Jesus means that we must believe who Jesus is. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, claims himself to be the Son of God. He is one with God. We must believe that. We must also believe that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. Never once did he fail, never once did he disobey, never once did he have an evil thought or an adulterous thought or anything like that. Jesus was absolutely perfect. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He perfectly obeyed the law. But then we also must believe that Jesus went to the cross and that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that what happened is as he's raised up on the cross, God takes our sins, the sins of those who believe, and he places them on Jesus, and that is what kills Jesus. Jesus doesn't die from blood loss. Jesus doesn't die from suffocation. Jesus dies because our sins are placed on him, and God cannot bear sins. God hates sins, and he pours out his wrath on Jesus. That's what kills him. But then three days later, Jesus is raised from the dead. And Jesus is victorious over death as no one has ever been before. And Jesus now sits at the right hand of God. And so to say that we have faith in Jesus means we believe all of these things about him and about his work on our behalf. It means we believe that he is now the one who goes to God on our behalf. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus. It means we believe this, we, we've given our lives to this, and we are submitting to his lordship as a result of this. So Paul says that is true of believers. They have faith in Christ Jesus. But then he also says 
that they have love for the saints. Now, this is a great way for us to test our own hearts as to whether or not we are truly believing in Jesus. Because here's what, here's what happens. When we're saved, when we believe in Jesus and his blood saving us from our sins, you know what happens? The Bible says that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if that's true of you, and that's true of me, that means both of us have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And if you want to try and tell me that the Holy Spirit in you is not going to want to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit in me, then that is a lie. If the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of every blood-bought Christian, that means that we are going to love one another. The Holy Spirit in me is going to love the Holy Spirit in you. We're going to have a love for the other saints. I hear so many people say things like, you know, I don't really need to go to church. I, I can watch you know, the church service on, on TV at home. I just can't stand being around other hypocritical people at church. I don't want that. That raises a red flag to me. Because if those people truly have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, the Holy Spirit should be crying out, wanting and desiring to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit in others. We need each other. We need community. And Paul says one of the marks of a believer is that they're going to have love for the other saints. They've got faith in Christ Jesus. They've got love for the other saints. And then he gives a reason why they have those two things. Verse 5. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So here's these believers at Colossae. Paul is saying, I thank God that I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for the saints, and it's because your hope is laid up in heaven. Now, Paul knows that God, or Jesus, is at the right hand of God in heaven. And I've talked to the youth recently about where are we placing our hope? Where is our hope focused? What is it focused on? And it needs to be focused on Jesus because Jesus is the only one who will not disappoint. We use the word hope quite often in normal conversation, but when we use it, it often means a desire or, or something that we really hope comes to, comes to pass. So I would say, as baseball season is, is quickly approaching, I hope that the Mets will win the World Series this year. We were close last year, lost it, we at least got there. I hope that the Mets will win the World Series this year. And what, what that conveys is just a desire. That's something I would like to see happen. I have no confidence that it will. As bad as that may be. But it's something that I really would love to see happen. And we all use, use the word hope in this manner. Maybe I hope that dad gets home from work early so we can throw the ball. I hope that we can get pizza for dinner. It's, it's not a confident assurance. It's really just a desire that we would love to see happen. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it uses it in such a different way. When the Bible says that we hope in Jesus, it doesn't mean that that's just a desire we have and we hope it comes to pass or that we, we would love to see it come to pass. When the Bible says that we can put our hope in Jesus, it doesn't mean a desire. It means a confident assertion. There's no wavering. When we put our hope in Jesus, we can be confident that what Jesus promises, he is going to deliver. 
Because Jesus is a promise keeper. So when we say that we're going to put our hope in Jesus and his blood on the cross, we know that that happened. Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins. And he really is going to save us from our sinful problem. And we really will live for him with ever in, forever in heaven. That will happen. We can be confident about that. So when Paul here says because of our hope is laid up in heaven, he's not talking about a, a desire that we would like to happen something that we would love to see come to pass, Paul is saying we can have confidence, and our confidence is in heaven, on Jesus. So now follow, follow this logic. He says, you've got faith in Christ Jesus. You've got love for all the saints. It's because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And here, here is where we start to see how we fight false teaching. False teaching is oftentimes it begins as a slight variation of the truth. It may sound very good. It may sound like, oh yeah, this is, this is good stuff. This is solid. But what false teaching does is it slowly but surely leads us away from Christ. It causes us to have more and more confidence in ourselves or in other things and less and less confidence in Christ. It slowly leads us to be a little bit more okay with our sin, to not fight against our sin as much. And so Paul is saying it is absolutely essential that we fight it. We cannot let false teaching take root. It will destroy. And Paul is saying, do you know how you fight against false teaching? He says, you set your hope on Jesus in heaven. If your hope is set on Jesus in heaven, if you've got a, a laser beam focus on Jesus, then guess what? All the other things that are trying to, to pull your attention and get your attention, they're not going to mean anything to you. They're not going to have any sway in, in deciding or pulling you one way or the other because if your focus is on Jesus in heaven, Paul says you're going to have faith in Christ Jesus and you're going to have a love for the saints. And when false teaching comes, you're not even going to turn an eye. But he says, here's how we do it. He says, we've got to focus on Jesus in heaven and place our hope there. That is how we can protect ourselves from false teaching. And so I would say, the next question is, well, what, how do I do that? How do I set my hope on Jesus in heaven? Because I feel like I've tried. I've been to church, people have talked about that before, and I feel like I've given it an effort, but I've not really had any success. So how do I set my focus on Jesus in heaven? Well, we just keep reading. Verse 5b, if you will. It says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. I want you to know that setting our hope on Jesus in heaven comes as a direct result of reading the word of the truth, the gospel. If you want your hope focused solely on Jesus, you've got to read the Bible. If you want your focus to be on nothing but on Jesus, and if you want to grow, you've got to read the Bible. Marcus so very well made the point last week that 
We have got to be people of the Word of God. We have got to be reading it. We've got to be praying through it. We've got to be studying it, memorizing it, memorize, uh, meditating on it. And as we do that, our hope is going to be ever so more focused on Jesus. The more we read the Bible, our hope is going to be even more on Jesus. And it's slowly, over time, it's going to change from like a, a little beam focus to this huge tractor beam. And we're going to be focused on nothing but Jesus. We're not going to care about the things of the world. We're focused on Jesus. And what happens when we keep our focus and our hope on Jesus is that we're going to, we're going to grow in our faith. And we're going to have love for the saints and when false teaching comes in, it's not even going to penetrate. We're not even going to consider it because we're so focused on Jesus that to say that I have to not eat certain foods or to keep certain festivals is going to sound so ridiculous because the Bible says nothing like that. The Bible says to put your hope and your faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. Now verse 6, he says this, the word of the truth, the gospel, has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Here's what Paul is saying. The more you read the Bible, the more your hope and your focus on Jesus will bear fruit and increase. It's not just going to casually happen. If you think you can just walk through life not really give it a whole lot of thought and just think that somehow casually your focus is going to be laser beam focused on Jesus, that won't happen. Paul says, but if you're reading the word, which is the truth, which is the gospel, if you are reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, praying through it, speaking it to others, I trust that it will bear fruit and increase in your life and your focus on Jesus, your hope in Jesus will grow stronger and stronger and stronger and no false teaching will have any opportunity to take root in your life. Look back with me to Philippians chapter 3. Maybe just a page back in your Bible. Philippians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 17. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is, the, is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul is saying, here's what happens when you set your mind on earthly things. Your laser beam focus on Jesus will be gone. Maybe if at some point your focus on Jesus is so strong and you start to set your mind on earthly things and not on the Bible, it's going to slowly weaken and weaken and weaken and weaken until it's gone. Paul says these are people that seem to have been believing. They seem to have been following after Christ. And he says, I tell you even with tears that they are now enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says, you know why? It's because their minds are set on earthly things. If we want false teaching to take root in our church, 
That's easy. Let's just set our minds on earthly things. And I promise you, before long, it will happen. But Paul says, if we focus on the word of the truth, the gospel, not only will our church be strong, but it will only get stronger. Because what the gospel does is it bears fruit and increases wherever it goes. Now, I don't want you to think that Paul is one of these people who's do as I say, not as I do. Let's look at an example of Paul's life and see that this is an absolute reality for him as well. He's not just saying this is how you should live, but I'm above this. Paul is absolutely laser-focused on Jesus, not caring at all about the things of the world, and we see that at the beginning of Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Verses starting at the, the, uh, the end of verse 18. It should be the start of a new paragraph in your Bible. Paul says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all put to shame, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here comes the famous verse that all of us probably know. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is so laser-focused on Jesus that he says, if I stay alive, I'm preaching Christ, I'm living for Christ, I'm telling people about Christ. He says, but guess what? If I die, that's even better. I go home to be with my Christ, to be with my Lord. And Paul is saying, this is what the life is gonna look like for you and for me. That if our focus and our hope is, is set on Jesus in heaven, the same can be said of us. That if we live... We preach Christ. We tell people about the good news of the gospel. And if we die, that's even better. We get our reward. Earthly things will have no authority in your life. They will not deter you at all if we keep our focus on the word of God, trusting that it will bear fruit and increase. And so I would ask you this morning, where is your hope set? Where are we focusing our hope this morning? Are we having our hope set on a family member's health? Man, if, if my brother would just get this clean bill of health and, and things would get better, I could, I could finally smile again. I could have some joy in my life. I could move on. Maybe it's, maybe it's at your workplace. If I could only get this promotion get that little bit of pay raise, then, then, then money won't be so tight and, and I'll be able to maybe tithe again and, and, I, and I can not worry so much about money. Maybe it's in a relationship. I can't believe that they dumped me. Man, if only, if only we could get back together, then, then life would be great and, and things would be good and I could be happy and I could have joy. That is hope that is placed in something other than Jesus, and that will fail. Your hope in anything but Jesus will let you down. But if we want to be a healthy church, we need to keep our hope and our focus set on Jesus. 
And we need to root that hope in the word of the truth. And if we do, we will grow. The gospel will bear fruit in our lives. It will increase. Our focus on Jesus will only grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And I pray that we as a church would be focusing on Jesus. That we would understand that hope anywhere else will fail. It will disappoint. It will let us down. Let's place our hope on Jesus. Knowing that we can be confident that we will never be put to shame if we do. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you that Paul cared so much about a church he'd never been to that they would not let false teaching come in and destroy. And God, I think all of us could say this morning that if we're here, if we're part of this church, we love this church. And I pray that it would be our heart as well that would want to protect our church from false teaching. That we would want to be continuing to grow in our holiness, in our righteousness. And I pray, God, that we would see that that happens as a result of being focused on the word of the truth, the gospel. I pray, God, that all of our focus would be on Jesus in heaven this morning and throughout the week, throughout the rest of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.